Thank you, Stu, and thank you, worship team, and thanks for braving the minus 15 weather. It seemed a little balmy today, though, didn't it, after uh, what we experienced over Friday and Saturday? And, um, you know, for me personally, I grew up in Cold Lake, Alberta, and Cold Lake, Alberta got its name Cold Lake for a good reason, and we wouldn't cancel school until it was minus 40 and minus 60 with a wind chill. So, you know, I'm kind of used to this temperature a little bit, and you know, I, I pray that it doesn't last long and, you know, February goes by with some uh, warm fronts coming along uh, with it. But along with some of these warm fronts, we as a church continue to warm up to the idea of the lectionary. And the idea with the lectionary is it's we're joining with the universal church in what scripture is kind of being prescribed in, in especially moments of Sunday worship. And so today you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And as you do that, I just want to also remind you, when you walked in today, you would have received this February offering envelope. And it's a new initiative of ours. We started it in January. And some of the feedback I got was the idea that we weren't sure what to expect when it came to this January offering. So what we're doing is at the first of the month, for the first three weeks, we're going to be handing these offering envelopes out. You can go ahead and put these on your uh, fridge and begin to pray about some of the questions that's asking you. And on the last Sunday of the month, particularly just the fourth Sunday of the month, we're going to be taking up an offering. And that offering uh, for this month will ask questions uh, particularly about our Bolivia mission trip. Now, we don't have a whole lot of information about the Bolivia mission trip, but February, CBM is our mission of the month. So there's a few questions there, um, in particular, just about getting more information about the Bolivia trip or helping with fundraising. It's kind of a commitment over the next three weeks you'll be praying about. And the other is what we're talking about today for the seasonal Lent. And the question is this. I have chosen to participate in Lent by changing or giving up something in my life until Easter so that I can focus on Jesus whenever I think about that thing. And so this is an opportunity for you to go ahead and be praying about this. And now you may be asking the question, Brian, Lent, we're not Catholic, are we? Now, I just really want to talk into this whole idea about Lent. And so our sermon series today is 321, A Countdown to Lent. And we're going to be asking the questions, what is Lent, why is Lent, and when that type of questioning we'll be looking at today. So as we read through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is the lectionary reading for today, and Paul writes these words. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of the age of, or, or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for it, if they had, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what 
God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God has, what God has freely given us. So, Father, as we go into this conversation about Lent, I pray most of all today about open hearts and open minds and open ears about this conversation. Some of us even shut down the idea of Lent just because of things we know from the past. But, God, allow us to, you know, look at some of these concepts of Lent and begin to see how your heart is in it and begin to see how each one of us begin, can begin to see this season as a recreation moment in our lives every year and a time for us to be able to say, God, for the next 40 days, I really want to recommit to you. And so, Father, unveil to us the greater meaning of this idea of Lent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now I know for myself particularly, I told you the idea that I grew up in a place called Cold Lake, Alberta, northern part of Alberta. Uh, really one of the sole reasons I became a huge fan of the Edmonton Oilers back in the late 1970s and, and have been following them ever since. But, you know, the Oilers for a period of time was the only religion I really followed. Uh, I, I must admit, from the age of 16 to the age of 20, I had no faith or concept of God at all. I really became an atheist in my mind because growing up, I grew up in a very religious atmosphere. That the idea of religion was showing up to church. And I remember particularly, uh, you know, my parents would, would do the, uh, you know, the basic prototypical, all right, let's stop yelling at each other where we'll get out of the car so we look like the perfect family when we head into church, right? You know, it was that mindset that we had that, you know, we would argue to church, stop arguing at church, and then head out onto our normal lives from there. And that's what religion taught me, is that it's, it was held to a particular building at a particular time for a particular reason. And I didn't know what that reason was. And so religion told me to give up something at Lent. And as a teenager, I'm like, I am not giving up anything for an 11 o'clock show on a Sunday morning. For me, I grew up with Anglican roots. And so Lent became a every year type of thing. And part of being an Anglican is uh, this idea of this christening or beyond the christening is a confirmation. And as a teenager, you go through confirmation classes and make a commitment and you are confirmed in the church. And I have to make this statement right now that the day I was confirmed was the last day I ever showed up in that church. Because I saw no correlation between the way I was living and what the church was trying to teach me. I lost Jesus, and I wondered if I ever really had found Jesus prior to that. By the age of 20, when I came to understand the saving nature of Jesus Christ and the reason behind the cross, I began to see my need for him and my continuous need for him. And in losing faith at confirmation, I began to realize the necessity of finding Jesus, and not just finding Jesus once, but finding Jesus continuously in life. 
And that's the idea of Epiphany, because right now we're still in week five of Epiphany, and the idea is trying to see where Jesus is revealing yourself in his life. And I really feel that as we go through this season, that there's a potential that some of us can learn from Lent and begin to find Jesus in a new way this season. Because we can often get caught up in legalism, but we can also get caught up in the opposite of legalism where we don't feel that any religion has any part to play in my life at all. For me, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Those are Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll repeat them again. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The most important part of any relationship or any religion is knowing Jesus Christ. When I first became a follower of Jesus at the age of 20, I really made it a a mindset to try to really find out who Jesus was in my life. And I was struggling along that journey because I was also at the same time trying to to release myself from any religious background at all. Any previous uh, knowledge about Jesus, I really wanted to start from scratch. And so when it came to Lent, I saw it as a very religious activity. And I'm not going to allow anybody to tell me what to do. Which leads me to the question, what is Lent? What is Lent? Well, the couple words that I'm going to really struggle with pronouncing would be the Greek word of teresaraskati. There we go. Pronounce it with some great passion, and it's right. And then the other would be quadragisma, right? We'll go with that one. These are Greek and Latin words which really reflect the idea of 40 because they're based on the number 40. Where does the word uh, number 40 come from? As you know, there's many times within Scripture that 40 is brought up, but the greatest of all is Jesus and his time in the wilderness. Just after his baptism, which was the great epiphany, He went into a time of fasting for 40 days. That's particular where we might get the word Lent, but the English word, which is interesting or even more confusing, according to the online dictionary, Lent came from an English word, Lenten, meaning the season of spring, or the period of fasting we now refer to as Lent. Lecting comes from West German word uh, lagatinas, meaning long days, or lengthening of days. So if you really ask the question, what is Lent? Lent refers to this, the lengthening of days during springtime. Well, that's not really what I understand Lent to be. Maybe you're asking that question. Because what I see Lent to be is a very strict fast, where one meal a day after 3 p.m. with no meat, no fish, or just fish and, or dairy. Well, let's dig into it. Let's dig into what Lent really means. And over the next three weeks, we'll continue this. And you might ask the question, Brian, why are you talking about Lent? Well, let's save that one for next week. Today, let's really jump into what is Lent. And in the end, there's three pillars of Lent. During this 40 days of fasting, there's three pillars. And these three pillars, as a follower of Jesus in the Baptist church, I cannot argue with these three pillars. If Lent is telling me to focus on these three things for the next 40 days, I have no argument. And these three are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, or as we like to um, call it, offering. 
And what Lent is doing is saying you are invited in. For the next 40 days, you are invited into a serious relationship with Jesus Christ where you can realign your relationship with him, where you can begin to see the rhythms of the liturgical calendar and you can become a better Christian. Who can argue with that? What is Lent is calling us to is to release ourselves from the daily grind of a 365-day calendar and say, God, for the next 40 days, I'm going to release something to focus my heart on you. But again, Brian, where does Lent come from? Maybe that's the question you're asking. Because I see it as a very high church type of thing, something that churches have forced people to do for centuries. I see it as a Catholic thing, an Anglican thing. I don't see it as a Baptist thing, Brian. I don't see any reason why we're having this conversation. Well, I want to answer the question of what is Lent with this. Lent yeah, it may seem like a Catholic thing, but I tell you what, Lent has been a lot, around a lot longer than the Catholic Church. Really, it was 130 AD when Arrhenius notes in a letter about the number of days for pre-Easter fast. This conversation about a pre-Easter fast is three generations deep. Now in 130, if you do the calculation right, three generations deep goes back to the original apostles. So someone before him was doing it, his grandfather or his great-grandfather, who might have actually been in contact or walked the roads with Jesus. This idea of Lent particularly goes all the way back to the cross. In the early centuries, the season before Easter was always used as an intense training for new Christians. During this period, the catacombs, the people that were learning to become Christians, went through the final stages of preparation for baptism, which usually occurred at dawn on Easter's when the baptisms would occur. As the practice of, uh, began to, to unfold, what was happening was this was a way to understand what you're getting involved in. To become a follower of Jesus is in such giving something up. But as the practice of infant baptism increased, the emphasis on Lent and this training period decreased. So in 318 AD, Christianity legalized, was legalized by Constantine. Up until that point, for 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian. And then Constantine changed all of that. And in that process, seven years later, in 325, the Nicene Creed was introduced. And this was a creed that basically was the staple, the foundation of all beliefs that, that followers of Jesus believed in. But the problem was, in around 300 AD, it became a state religion. That's when Catholicism was really introduced. The, the idea of the Roman Catholic Church came into being about 300 AD, where Christianity became law. So a whole swing of things, in 62 years, it went from illegal to be a Christian to illegal not to be a Christian. Really interesting season of time. But catch the date, 380 is when the Catholic Church became a reality. For over 300 years, Lent was a part of the Christian lifestyle. It's not a Catholic thing. Now in 590, Pope Gregory was uh, at the time, you know, his, his, his life, he finally regularized the period of the church 
fast to begin on Ash Wednesday, 46 days before Easter, with a ceremony of Ash, which in that 46 days, we don't include the Sundays. You know, with that given, there was no fasting occurring on Sundays, so those 40 days, beginning with Ash Wednesday, would be an understanding that we're heading towards the resurrection. And therefore, that time of fasting, which was about six weeks long, was an opportunity for people to go into the cross, to get into it. Gregory was also credited with initiating the practice that gave the first day of Lent its name, the Day of Ashes, or simply Ash Wednesday. And to begin the season of fasting and repentance, Gregory marked the foreheads of his congregation with ashes, a biblical symbol for penance. It was also a reminder to early Christians of their mortality. For you are dust, and to dust you will return, and the need to prepare for the afterlife. Now, I do see that as a strictly Catholic, maybe Anglican type of religious activity, but let's take our minds off of all of that and begin to think to ourselves that this has been a journey for the Christian faith for years. This prohibition around milk and eggs gave rise to the, to the tradition of the Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras, you know, French for Fat Tuesday, which is celebrated the day before Ash Wednesday. On this day, Christians would feast on food and they would require to be abstaining from the, the things they would be abstaining from during Lent. So let's fast forward 1,000 years because we're still stuck in kind of the, the medieval days. Let's go to 1400 where this Lent season went from a strict fast about giving something up for Lent to really a strict rule, where if you didn't fast, if you didn't observe Lent, there was repercussions. And so the Protestant church revolution happened in 1517. We know about the idea of Martin Luther and his protest against some of the Catholic church traditions. And there was a protest where the focus was more on the personal relationship and not about the rules. And so Lent, because it was seen as a rule, was, was, was dismissed. And still today, as a Baptist church, we dismiss the idea of Lent. It was in 1534 that King Henry also split from the Catholic Church, and the Anglican Church was born. But they held on to the idea of Lent, because they saw it as a strict law of fasting. So the Roman Catholics and the Anglicans both saw Lent as a very strict time for followers. It wasn't until World War II, during the season of fighting, that they finally dismissed the need for Lent to become seen as a strict thing to be doing. But this is how religion begins. You know, what is good for me must be good for you. So what is good for me, you have to do also. That's religion. Believing that it's of utmost importance to follow rules and to do what human beings tell you to do. But that was Jesus' last desire. That we would be called to a world of religion. We were called to a world of relationships. So that's what Baptists had an issue with. 
Baptists, one of the main distinctives for us as a church is the separation between church and state. And the idea is that nothing religious should be a rule in the state or as a, uh, a federal rule, and nothing that the federal government says should dictate how the church does things. And that was the idea of separation in church and state. But there's a huge caution here. Some people can look at some of these traditions and say, that's not for me. But I think as a follower, we have to begin to look at some of these traditions that have been held for over 2,000 years and ask the question, why did we release it? Why did we release it? As Baptists, we are, we are um, headstrong in a lot of ways we believe. And we sometimes feel that it's not as important to draw from very special activities that other churches do. But I'm here to say there's nuggets of gold in everything that Christ has ordained. I'm a big sea glass hunter. I shared this with you before. Whenever I head to the beach, I often don't look at the scenery. I'm looking down at my feet, and I'm walking. I'm looking for sea glass. And, and I, I love some sea glass beaches. I know I have a little bit of sea glass, but they're just like they're, 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 they're few and far between. Uh, we were at the beach the other day. We, my wife said, let's go to the beach. And I said, honey, it's minus 30 out. We gave it an attempt for about three minutes. And I found three pieces of sea glass. I was pretty encouraged by those three pieces of sea glass. Then we got back into the car and left because, man, it was cold. But every time I find just a little piece of sea glass, I kind of treasure those. We've got a little bottle um, with all of the sea glass that we found over the years. And, and I love that. I find love finding nuggets within searching for different things. I don't know if you've ever been to this beach on the way to Grand Manan. When you stop to get on the ferry, there's this one beach in Grand Manan. If you haven't been to this beach and you love to hunt for sea glass, don't go to this beach because there's way too much sea glass at this beach. Like, I'm talking like you can't walk and not see sea glass. Like, you have to get to a point where I remember the first time my wife was you know, telling me at this beach, she said, Brian, you've got to stop picking up the sea glass. Like, literally, I had an ice cream bucket full of sea glass because there's so much. And so what I begin to do at this beach is not look for just the sea glass, but look for the nuggets, the really nice pieces of sea glass. And see, that's what we have to do as followers of Jesus, is there's so much we can draw into our lives as followers of Jesus that we really have to look for those little pieces and say, I'm going to hold on to that. And for me this year, I really feel that the, the season of Lent as a follower of Jesus, is one of those few glasses of sea glass that as a follower of Jesus, I need to examine and begin to say, is that for me? Am I going to pick that one up? Am I going to draw that one out from the relationship that the Catholics have had, that the Anglicans have had with that? Am I going to hold on to that? Am I going to, am I going to discard it? There's a lot of salt in this world that we can pick up. Lent, I believe, is one of them. You know, it's old, but being old, it stood the test of time. And it's not about living how we want to live and then choosing, you know, just whatever we want to do. I think sometimes we need to live a life where we allow ourselves to see what God is trying to show us. 
And for Baptists, for followers of Jesus, I believe that Lent is a choice, not an obligation. It's about freedom in Christ, and we are free to choose to observe Lent or not. That's your choice in this. What I'm trying to do as a pastor is tell you what Lent is all about. I mean, what observing Lent does. See, observing Lent puts us in sync with a broader Christian community. And we cannot fully appreciate Jesus' resurrection without spending time reflecting on his sufferings. We live in a privileged society where hardly anyone suffers for being a Christian. A little self-imposed hardship during Lent builds spiritual character and can deepen our understanding of our faith. And I get it. There's a lot of co-workers out there that we, and a lot of people that we have uh, conversations with out there that might not have a true relationship with Jesus, but we are curious when we hear, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. Well, I didn't know you believed in Jesus. Oh, I don't, but... I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. I mean, and then we're we're confused with that. But I believe that this is an opportunity for us to build into those relationships, to love our neighbor just a little bit more by helping them understand what they're doing for Lent, that they're self-imposing a little bit of hardship during a Lent season, and that's building spiritual character and deepening our understanding of faith. Now, it's not something to brag about, like I gave up coffee for 40 days. That's not what I'm doing. (laughs) Speaking of which, we'll talk about in in week three of the idea that you make sure that you you confirm with your spouse that they're good with you giving up that certain item because that certain item might take the crankiness away from you. And if you're cranky for 40 days, they might be giving you up for Lent. (laughs) But that's the journey that we're on as followers of Jesus, discovering different things. It's not something to brag about. It's something to discover. When do we start that? We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. But these offering envelopes will help you begin to pray about it for the next three weeks. Again, I'm not telling you to do Lent. I'm giving you an opportunity to begin to discover what it really means. It's saying this to Jesus. Jesus, For the next 40 days, I'm going to give this thing up that I'm passionate about, that I love, that I I, I crave. And when I give this up, every time I crave it, I want to crave you. Every time I think about it, I want to think about you. Every time that I desire it, I want to desire you. Because that's what Lent is all about. It's, it's, It's relieving yourself of the desire for something and gaining that desire for Jesus. Lent isn't a religious activity. Lent is about drawing you closer to Jesus. And if for those 40 days I draw closer to Jesus, I'm going to be really thankful for Lent. And if as a church we grow closer together as a body of Christ because of Lent, I'm going to do Lent every single year because it's drawn me and my church closer to Jesus. Because isn't that the point? Isn't that what Lent is really all about? About growing closer to our Savior. I think that's something I want to be part of.
we're going into a time of communion about drawing closer to Jesus. Ted's going to share with us in this time. But as the worship team comes up and, and, and as we draw into this time of communion, I pray that this is a time where you begin to say, okay, Jesus, do you want me to be part of this journey? Matthew chapter 5 reminds us that you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that you may see your good deeds and they may see your good deeds and praise you, your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Ted, will you come and lead us through this time of communion. Which brings us to a time of of memorial. And it's a time when we need to discover again where Jesus is in our lives. And I want to just recall for you and for us, in a very few words, the occasion when two disciples were walking along the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You remember the story quite well. And two of them were wondering what had happened. They'd heard something was different. Jesus wasn't to be found in the grave where he was expected. And in that time, they talked together, and somebody else came along and joined them, a stranger to them. And he didn't seem to know what was going on either. And they said, well, how come? This is the news of the day. Where have you been? And he talked along with them. And you know the story, how it ended. I'm going to read those few verses in the Gospel of Luke that reminds us what happened at the end of that road. In Luke chapter 24, 23, 24 it is. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's getting on for evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. While he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, 
and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And to me, this is a time for us to focus on the breaking of bread, the sharing of the cup, which we shall surely do. And as we do that, maybe at this moment and at this time, Jesus will be revealed to you in a way that might not happen at any other time. Because these were the times when Jesus sat quietly with people and ate with them, broke bread with them. Some of them were sinners, like we all are. Some of them in a quiet time like this. But their eyes were opened. And may our eyes be open too, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Let's give thanks for the bread. Father God, we thank you that in your way, in your time, you have opened to us in our hearts ways that you could reveal yourself to us when we weren't even thinking. So it has been in the past, and so may it be today as we share the bread resembling the body of Christ himself. And as we do so, let us be very thankful. Amen. Let us receive the bread. And then as we turn to the words of uh, St. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, the familiar words that we share during communion. Jesus spoke to the disciples who were with him at that time. And he said, this cup is in remembrance of me. It is the new covenant in the blood. The new covenant is based not on the law, not on doing routines, as Brian has told us, but it is based on a life given for you and for me. And when Jesus' blood was shed, he was dead. He was gone. So was God. The world nearly stopped. Darkness came about. And from that darkness came a new light and a new life available for us all through the grace of our Lord and Savior. Let's give thanks for the cup as we receive it. Oh God, we thank you that you have overcome death. You have overcome its power and its finality. For us, death becomes a passage into your presence in your time and in your way, but it will be for you a, w a welcome sign for all who believe in you. 
We thank you for your sacrifice, which made it possible, which we never could have done ourselves. And we are thankful. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us receive the cup as it has been given. Thank you. 